the monster have a good time? Enter the dungeon game. A rompum stompum roaring good time of monster bashing, dungeon crawling, and treasure collecting. Explore the depths of the dungeon on your fantastic journey of mystery and suspense while you search for hidden treasure. Use your powers and skills to avoid secret traps and fearsome creatures. As a dwarf, elf, warrior, magician, cleric, or fighter on this perilous quest. You'll battle the forces of evil to find the treasure, win the game, or just survive. Start your journey today! The Dungeon board game can be found clinging to the shelves of a toy or hobby store in your neighborhood! Copyright 1989 TSR Inc. All rights reserved. TSR! Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I, the last time I checked, am Rick. Getting your random banter stuck in your zipper was the best thing that ever happened to you. Random banter, buddy! Talk to me for a little bit about some stuff. I don't think it is, but that made me think of something about Mary. <laughs> you know... It should make you think of there's something about Mary because... Is that where it's from? Yes, it is. Okay. All right. There we go. There we go. And why would I pick there's something about Mary for a random banter intro? I didn't put it together. I just recognized it from the the dark recesses of my own dungeon-filled memory. <laughs> but then I looked over and I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're talking about her this issue. I may have forgotten that already. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> we're talking about Typhoid Mary this issue. And this we is are. something about Mary. This is something. There really is, there is something, something about, about Mary. Mm-hmm. There really is, yes. I, I've told you the story of me seeing that film for the first time, right? No, no, you have not. Or if you have, I've forgotten about it because that's what I do with the world around me. That's fair. That's fair. I was in the Army Reserves at the time, and we were on a two-week annual drill out in North Dakota, Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Let me tell you, that was awesome. We are in the field there for two weeks, and at the end of it, they drove us back down to South Dakota. We dropped off all of our equipment at this reserve center, and we had the night to kill, so they bust us out to the nearby mall. So you got a bunch of soldiers who've been on the field for two weeks, just the lowest mindset imaginable, and were let loose in a public mall. A group of us stumbled over to the theaters and something about Mary was playing. Let me tell you, watching that movie in that mindset, it was like watching Shakespeare directed by the bard himself. (laughs) It was perfect. It was hilarious. (laughs) I have never laughed so hard in my life. We were rolling on the floor because that was our humor level. Nice. I knew at that time, I was like, there is no way this film is that funny. And... It's a funny film. Don't get me wrong. It's fine. But it was never as funny as that time of watching it. It is weird because there are times in your life where you see something and it hits you just right so well. And it is the funniest thing ever, be it a comedy special, movie, just something. And then when you go back to try and recapture that, you're like, yes, this is pleasant. Ha ha. Yeah. Oh, you have to ribald. Yeah. You have to be in the right mindset with the right group of people and yep. seeing you in the right circumstances to, you know, especially if comedy, you know, I can distinctly remember laughing hysterically with me and my friends watching American Psycho. <laughs> 
We might have been in a wrong mindset at that time, but we found it <laughs> hilarious. We might have also been a little drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that that never uh, never hurts for the comedy. The old uh, laughter libations. <laughs> Yeah, I think that instead of talking about what normally is a random banter about this time, I think this is perfectly fine conversation because we are recording this on November 4th. So, yeah, how y'all doing out there, yeah. folks? November 4th, 2020, keep in mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why? Did, has something happened or occurred during this uh, this November <laughs> that, early time frame? That is an interesting question because we don't really know the answer to that yet. Yep. <laughs> because this is the the year that never ends. It's still it's the October. It's the November that'll never end. It's the election that'll never end. I don't know anymore. I give up. We are on pins and needles waiting the results of. <laughs> we're waiting on Vegas. This is the only time in our lives where. What happens in Vegas? We don't want it to stay in Vegas. We want to know what's going on now. (laughs) Come on, Nevada. Hang in there for us. We need you. (sighs) So, yeah. And I'm sitting here with half a shot of whiskey spilled on me because I was telling a joke and I forgot that I put the whiskey on a slope surface. And as I'm telling a joke, I'm moving things around and... Hey, here I am sitting in <laughs> half a shot of whiskey. Yep, it was funny on uh, two different ways. It was the there was the there was the setup, which was the story you were telling to me, and then there was the punchline, which is, and then you were doused in flammable liquids. So it was like, oh, this is wonderful on two different levels. Yeah, he's so meta. I am. I am. I am. I am. His comedy special is very expensive because expensive whiskey gets just dumped on him repetitively. <laughs> And you'll always have the, it uh, to smell it in your shirt as a remembrance. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what else I have remembrances of? What? I have remembrances of last episode. But mm. nobody wants to hear me talk about it. They want to hear you talk about it in a two-sentence replay. Saying that Queen Maraud robs Power Pack of all their superpowers, defeats Force 4 again, and destroys the Chimelian homeworld is very accurate, yet also very reductive because it leaves out the fact that Power Pack steals their powers back, while defeating Maraud, and Ghostmare cosmically levels up into Matriarch, who saves the lives of everybody and everything on her artificial homeworld by phasing them and psychically linking them. Numinous also shows back up long enough to point out a now-habitable moon that the Chimelians can go live on that will get them back on the path of living a natural world-filled life. Now that the the best part was when Maraud was instinctively and bone-shakingly terrified of Jack, who had gained the Destroyer power because, well, because he is Jack, who now has the Destroyer power, two-sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Now, I am sitting here drinking whiskey because it's November 4th, 2020. But that's okay, because I also did still bring you a beer to drink. Let me just go ahead and shove this through the Zoom connection here. There we go. There it is. And what what did I give you there, man? (laughs) A Breakside Brewery Sour Queen of the Rodeo. (laughs) Sour Cherry Ale with Hibiscus and Rose Petals. And it's got a big old long story time on it. Talking about stuff. But yeah, this Breakside Brewery, they make nice stuff. And they are located very close to Rick's house, which is really kind of cool. Yes, they do. Yes, yes, yes. I knew that this issue was coming up. And I thought uh, Queen of the Rodeo sounded... About right. Uh, very right. That's a you can't get more accurate of that. Yeah. Uh, but also I wanted to make sure we had something really nice. Yeah. <laughs> a little pleasing thing to go down. A little pleasing thing to go down with this. So yeah. <laughs> this is seven point six percent alcohol by volume, four IBU. 
seek and enjoy. Queen of the Rodeo is a wood-aged sour beer that was conditioned on Washington-grown Montmorency cherries, rose petals, and hibiscus flowers. Our team was inspired by the lighter creeks of the Belgium, where they created this spritzy and bright new beer. All right, crack these boys open. Mm-hmm. You know, Queen of the Rodeo would have gone really good on the uh, last episode, too. Because Queen Maraud, ready for the horses. Now the only reason I can think of this being a good choice for this episode is, well, break side, because Typhoid Mary, mental break, has two sides. She's sour. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm hearing lots of good reasons. Yep. So I guess it works on all accounts. It's a hazy amber kind of color. Uh, Golden amber, I would say. I call that a golden amber. Red notes in there. Yeah, red notes. Yeah, it's very much kind of like a, a red-noted Hefeweizen. Yeah, I can go with that. It doesn't have much of a head on it, which is crazy because of the sheer volume of bubbles coming out of this thing. Mm, take a nice smell of those cherries. That's yep, sour. you can smell cherries. You can smell that. No, that smells really nice. Yeah, that's got the nice little uh, floral cherry scent notes to it and the standard kind of like malty kind of, kind of fusty kind of sour notes too in the nose. Wow. You know what? Oh, that's a little tart. It's a little tart, but mmm. Also mm. sweet. I like that. Did you get that hit of the hibiscus and the rose petals? Yes, 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 yes. That nice underlying of the cherry? Yeah. Mmm. I am getting every single one of those those flavors that they mentioned. The rose petals hits through there really good. The hibiscus comes in as a nice secondary, but layered over everything is that nice cherry, that sweet cherry flavor. And all, of course, wrapped up in a nice tart sour. Yeah, and that's the thing, though. It's not crazy sour. No. You know, there's a lot of sours that I've had that are very, you know, they, they suck your face in. Yeah. And this is just kind of like, oh, a little tart. And that tart is tried, is tied to the cherry. It's the mm-hmm, sweet mm-hmm. tart cherry kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. But that sour still gets you right in the back of the back of the jaw. Mm, I like that. I like where that lands on the tongue. The aftertaste on that is really cherry forward as well. This would be a fantastic summer beer. This really, really would be. Now it's going to be a really good fall beer. Because it's. I think in general, it, this is just a very good beer whenever it's you're going to be drinking beer. it. I'm just thinking of sitting on a porch after a nice long day of working. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. I do too. This holds up. This is going to have a nice, nice rating for us at the end. Well, we'll wait for the hour and we'll see how uh, how it goes at that point. Things could change. Things could change. It could go dark fast. It's 2020, man. <laughs> I, I, we're going to go there. <laughs> Staying positive. Staying positive. Let's move on down to our issue. But first, the opening credits, if you please. Power Pack, issue number 53, January 1990, Chinks in the Armor. Credits, words, Terry Austin, picture, Ernie Colon, letterers, Joe Rosen, colors, Glennis Oliver, managing edits, Sarah Tuchinsky, editor, Daniel Chichester, editor-in-chief, Tom DeFalco. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, who is now Mass Master. He's the oldest, and now he controls his molecular density. Julie Power, she is back to being Lightspeed, second oldest, and she can fly very fast again with her rainbow trail. Jack Power, the destroyer. Yep, they gave him the disintegration and energy projection power. That leaves us with Katie Power, counterweight. She's the youngest, and she can increase or decrease the gravity of objects she touches, and she can punch like nobody. Guest starring, Typhoid Mary. Okay, folks. 
She's normally seen in Daredevil. She's this woman who suffers dissociative identity disorder. She has a few other abnormal personalities in addition to her seemingly healthy one. Her Mary personality is a timid and quiet, as opposed to her typhoid personality, who is pretty violent and sadistic. These are the only sides of that we care about in this issue. She also possesses some telekinesis, telepathy, pyrokinesis powers as well, because these are all skills that unstable villains should really have. Uh, we also have Dr. Doom. You know, good old Dr. Doom, you know him, right? Likes green hoodies, hates Reed Richards, that guy. Also making a small guest appearance is Dagger, Tandy Bowen, half of Cloak and Dagger. She is currently blind because of some Terry Austin reasons. We start off our tale by breaking HIPAA confidentiality rules concerning listening into therapy sessions between a doctor and a patient. Okay, I see what you're doing here, but I feel that what we are seeing here is not technically a doctor-patient event. Even though it looks like it is. What are you talking about? The first line has a doctor asking a patient about their progress since the last session. True, true. But we should point out that the patient is Typhoid Mary and the doctor is, or will be revealed to be, Dr. Doom. Does not matter. Confessions of a crime are covered by therapist-patient privilege. Yeah, but, well, what about do no harm? Dr. Doom does not want to cause harm. Mary wants to do that on her very own. But, but... But we are getting ahead of ourselves. Let's just assume that Mary released this information herself. That is in line for the type of mischief she would do. The short version is that Typhoid Mary is reporting to Dr. Doom that she has started a job as a teacher in order to meet Power Pack and destroy them. I have questions. Most start with W's, but there is one that begins with an H. And all your questions will be answered by looking on the cover of the book and seeing that it has a little triangle on the upper right-hand corner that says Acts of Vengeance. This was the 1990 Marvel tie-in event that had a group of supervillains getting talked into forming a team by Loki and switching up the heroes they normally fight. Thus, a Daredevil villain is being sent to attack Power Pack by a Fantastic Four villain. Clever concept, I guess. Let's see what happens during this flashback tale told by Typhoid Mary. As we said, Mary planted herself as a teacher at a school for the blind nearby the Power's home and was waiting for an opportunity to meet them, which occurred on a sunny day in Central Park. The Power Kids are out in the park with their friend Tandy, aka Dagger, who is currently living with her stepdad while she learns to deal with her recent blindness. I will give the book credit for introducing some awareness to the individuals who are sight impaired. True. Julie asks Tandy how she is doing, and she is very positive. She can feel the sun on her face and is glad to be outside. They talk about how her other senses are improving to make up for her loss of sight. And as if on cue, a ball bounces at Tandy's head and she catches it instantly. Swap. Jack apologizes for warning Tandy so late, but Katie is impressed with the catch. Tandy points out that the bell inside the ball marks it as a special one used by blind children to play with. Sure enough, there's a blind child who is moving closer to the ball and she is accompanied by Mary as Tandy jingles the ball. Now we should point out that Typhoid Mary looks physically different depending on which identity is in charge. Currently, she is modestly dressed with her long red hair flowing down her back. Earlier in the issue, she was in fishnet stockings, high heels, half-white painted face, and her hair in tight curls. Not unlike Sideshow Bob. I can't unsee that now. You are welcome. Mary introduces herself and instantly becomes friends with all of them. She is even invited up to Tandy's apartment for some lemonade. Tandy is proudly showing how she has learned to navigate her stepdad's apartment through orientation and mobility training by carrying out the lemonade to her guests. But it is too much for the evil side of Mary. She just has to stick out her foot and trip Tandy. Whack! Slam! Her mischievous side has caused an unforced error, and the refs are surely going to call her out on that. 
Julie caught Mary sticking out her foot. She points this out to Alex, but he thinks Julie is jealous because Mary is so pretty. Okay, a few things here. I would say that Tandy is prettier than Mary, and Julie has never been jealous of Tandy. So what are you talking about, Alex? And why are you not more worried about your friend? Um, maybe because he is a teenage boy with hormones? Ooh, yeah. Well... That is evident as the Power Kids invite Mary up to their apartment to meet their father. Apparently Maggie is out of town visiting her sister. And it is at this point in the story that Mary tells the shadowy figure that is obviously Dr. Doom that she noticed that Alex really is in awe of his father and that she knew how to use this to cause the family pain. Back in the flashback, Alex, who, let us all remember, is 12. Remember, 12 years old at this point, is walking in the park with Mary. He is telling Mary all about how he respects his dad and how intelligent his father is. He also says that sometimes he feels dumb next to him. He also points out that Julie is good in school, Katie has imagination like their mother, and Jack is good at sports and pulling the fire alarm at school. While Alex is good at science, he still feels that he'll always be in the shadow his father casts, and that no matter what he accomplishes, that he will just end up a disappointment to his father. One way to get out of the shadow is to use science to do evil. Trust me, it gets you noticed and possibly 6 to 12 in county lockup. But that is not Alex. Remember, in his own mind, he thinks he is the worst. An inevitable disappointment. Wow, that is a real positive attitude you got there, buddy. Here, let me help you out. Remember that time you saved Earth? Or that time you saved the Statue of Liberty? Or that time you stopped an interstellar war? Or that time you helped save the chameleon race? Or that time that you and a school bully were going to get in a fight, so you called each other chicken for about an hour and a half? That one? You're going to end on the chicken one as a way of making him feel as if he has self-worth? I think that is the one that has the most importance. So yes, yes I am. Mary takes this opportunity to tell Alex about her own father by saying, I know what you mean, Alex. As a child, I spent all my time trying to please my father, only to let him down in the end, after endless, empty years of suffering. Whoa, what? Alex is just saying that his dad is great, and that he, wrongly, will never live up to the example he has set. What's happening here is like me telling someone I'm not really a fan of clowns, and them saying, yeah, I know what you mean. My entire family was killed by a guy dressed like Ronald McDonald. It's not the same. Now, now, I wouldn't worry too much about that, as it is probably just a story. Mary is not what you would call a reliable narrator. So this may just be part of the long con she has playing. Apparently, according to Mary, she works with blind children because her father was blind. Because of his condition, he could not work and she was forced to care for him. Her and her father's world became their apartment. Because he couldn't see, he saw no need for electricity, so they had no TV, radio, or refrigerator. She stopped going to school and had no friends. Because they had no clock, a couple of times a day she would open a tin of sardines to eat. Finally, as soon as the sun went down, the world ended and she would spend her nights in the dark, praying for the sun to come up. Okay. Okay. That's... A lot to unpack. Mary weaves a very convincing and sad story that ends with her not being able to save her dad, despite her unceasing devotion to him. And what a failure she is. This works on Alex, who listens to her and begins to really, really, really care. Later, while preparing dinner in her apartment, the good Mary is thinking about how nice it is to have friends like Alex when she has an episode. Her typhoid side takes over and starts to hold a knife to her face, telling her she does not deserve to be happy. She moves the knife to her eye as she fights her own arm, saying that she deserves to be punished by having her eyes gouged out and having to live in darkness. That is, unless she was willing to compromise. 
This compromise is to sit on the floor in the dark and eat tins of sardines for dinner. Ah, just like a good girl should. Folks, this is not an easy issue to have fun with. Mental illness and blindness are not jokey topics. And neither is an old woman seducing a young boy. But here we are. Here we are. At least, it can't get any more awkward. Oh, yes it can. Yes it can. But before we can get there, we come back to the session, where the armored arm of the... Gee, is that Doctor Doom in the shadows? Mystery Doctor is seen. He has become engrossed in her tale and starts to think of his own father, also a doctor who was killed leaving him an orphan. He tells Mary to continue. Now we get to the part where she is describing this underage seduction. Woo... Who? Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. I'm sure this will be good. Well, good is subjective. Mary has decided that the best way to get the 411 on the pack of power is to use the weakest link on the team to learn their secrets that Doom wants. Alex is a teenage boy, and she knows that he is envious of his dad, and we mentioned all the hormones that a teenage boy has, right? Well, these things all make him... The weakest link. When it comes to... Certain things. Gross. But go on. Well, that icky feeling continues as an obviously much older woman takes a boy out to the movies while they hold hands. Or while running through the fallen leaves of fall while they hold hands. Or while staring into each other's eyes. While we assume that they are holding hands. We should point out that while Jack and Katie are drawn in their normal young ages in this book, Julie and especially Alex are drawn older. I would say that as the book progresses, he appears anywhere between about 14 and like, you know, 28. It is jarringly noticeable and not a little disconcerting. But all this hand-holding leads to the next phase of Mary's reverse Lolita con. She shows up to meet with Alex and read a report he did on the School for Blind Kids. Julie's disgust and mistrust of Mary is on full display, to the dismay of her younger siblings. It may be, but Mary is pleasant. She even asks about Dr. Powers. Turns out he is in the back room working on a new ultrasonic equipment. Mary is fascinated by this work, and she moves very, very close to Jim to find out more. Meanwhile, Alex stands in the background and slowly transitions from eager teenage boy to jealous, moody teenage boy. To be fair, that is a very, very narrow road any teenage boy walks down on your normal school night. True, true, true. Mary is really leaning hard on Jim, asking about his work and putting an arm around him. Alex finally snaps. Dad, Mary's here to check over my report for school. Mary uses her trademark low-level psionic powers to push Jim to scold him. Jim barks at Alex, calling him rude and telling him to wait in the living room. Slam! Alex pouts out of the room and moves on the couch, ignoring the questions from his siblings. Finally, Mary and Jim walk through the living room as Mary is leaving. Alex interrupts the two adults by asking about going to Tashi Station for some power converters. Um, uh, you, you, you meant he asked about his report that she was going to read. Sorry, I got my whiny blonde teenage boys with inappropriate infatuations confused. Eh, I'll allow it. The interruption is enough to cause Jim to really snap at Alex, with another mental push from Mary. Young man, you can just go to your room until you learn to stop interrupting your elders. Alex is embarrassed. Julie is angry. And Katie looks confused. Jack is plotting the destruction of all mankind, obviously. But Julie makes sure that her feelings are known to Alex. That's okay, Alex. I hate that Mary. She's rotten. Alex angrily rushes to his room and looks out the window as Mary kisses Alex's dad square on the lips as she gets in a taxi. Stop, Stop this. Stop, Stop your, your account, account now. now. 
Oh, good. The issue's over. We can end this. Yay! Um, no. Actually, Doom is just pausing the flashback retelling. We still have about another half of the book left. No! Yes, Doom is equally upset as he finally leans out of the shadows, doing his big, we already know that it's him, reveal. He is confused as to why Mary is setting up this paternal rivalry. Her mission was to find out the secrets of the Chimelian technology before killing Power Pack. Mary is a professional. She wants to play with her victims. Then she throws a knife next to Doom's head. And the most surprising thing happens. Doom does not kill Mary, but tells her to continue her narrative. Ah, yes. One of her trademark knives. Well, back to the story. Three-fourths of the family are having fun, cleaning the house, using their powers when the fourth and mostly useless member tromps in, slamming the door and throwing his schoolwork into the just-cleaned living room. <sighs> Quit being the worst, Alex. Katie taunts her brother. What's the matter, Alex? Didn't you have a date with your girlfriend today? Alex informs her that she is not his girlfriend, and he doesn't even like her. Then Katie taunts her brother a second time. Then I guess you're not interested in this note we found slipped under the door. Give me that, you little goof. Okay, now. Let's all think about what this note says for a second. <clears throat> Dear Alex, I have been taken prisoner by a horrible, evil woman. Please come to the basement alone. I need your help desperately. Mary. Y'all get that? Mary put a note under the door saying that she is kidnapped and in the basement. Obviously, Alex stops and says, hey, this is fishy. I think this could be a trap. But then you would be forgetting that Alex turned off his brain about mm, 10 pages ago. So he tosses the letter down and heads downstairs into a trap. Now we get to the end game with Typhoid Mary because she is ready to play. She actually says that as she rips off a trench coat to reveal her trademark fishnet stockings and shoulder armor costume with long knives. Okay, okay, what's up with that? Uh, up with what? You keep saying trademark like you're trying to make people think you know stuff about the Typhoid Mary character. You, you, you do know her character, right? Uh, y yes. Okay, tell me what you know about her then. Uh, uh, she owns some knives and has a split personality and, uh, ha has some brain powers. You know absolutely nothing about her, do you? I know nothing about her. I feel as bad for you as I do for poor Alex, who has to take a moment to realize that this trench coat fishnet stocking reveal is not a good scary thing, but a bad scary thing. And he costumes on as he asks what she has done with Mary. Because Alex does not realize that they are the same person. Well, her look is radically different. Typhoid also distracts the young boy by turning on a closed-circuit TV that shows his dad getting in and riding up an elevator. Typhoid informs the power packian that it is time to make things exciting. So she snaps her fingers and causes an explosive fire to start at the bottom of the elevator shaft. This event causes the elevator to stop, and Jim falls down in the elevator as he is knocked out from some smoke inhalation. Mary mentions that she has disabled all of the emergency systems, so Jim is in some pretty extreme danger. And it is at this moment that the competent members of Power Pack show up as the stairwell doors in the basement burst open. Hooray! Jack shoots a powerball at Typhoid without hesitation. He misses because he is still figuring out the control of his new power. Typhoid jumps into the elevator shaft and flies upward using her telekinesis powers. 
Alex tells his siblings, who he calls kids, to put out the flames while he saves their dad's life. The other members of the pack ignore the slight their stupid older brother has given them as they successfully manage the fire in an extremely competent way. With Katie zero-jing Jack up the shaft, Jack absorbs the flame of the fire, Julie uses her speed and flying to make a vortex and funnels the smoke outside. This is all pretty darn cool. Genius! Alex, meanwhile, has failed to save their father. Of course. He arrives in time to see Mary pulling the unconscious Papa Power Parent out of the elevator box and snapping the cables. Alex can cloud out, but Katie and Jack are below. They are going to get squish-a-diddly crushed. Never fear, and don't resort to making up words. Julie is here to, um, huh. I am confused-a-diddled. She flies in some hole, picks up her younger siblings, and flies them up to the falling elevator. I guess that works because Katie puts a finger on the falling elevator and it stops it, defying every single law of physics I can find. Yeah, if she could one-finger degrab the plummeting metal box while flying up at it, could she have done the same thing on the ground? Let me check my magic eight ball. All signs, point two, forget about it. Moving on, the three kids check out the elevator and find that it is empty. No dead father, no cloudy brother, no homicidal maniac, none of those homicidal clowns that I talked about earlier in this episode. Nope, they are all on the roof. Well, except for the clowns. Typhoid has Jim hanging off the side by his tie, and she is monologuing about how she has been telling him how miserable Alex is growing up in his shadow. She is not asking for anything, or doing this for any other purpose than to try and cause mental harm to a teenage boy, with three younger siblings who are imbued with magic space horse powers and are keeping big secrets from his parents. Really, Typhoid. This is your plan? Maybe. Maybe not. But Alex has a plan. And that plan is to tell Typhoid to let his father go. Well, this makes for a proud Mary, as she says that they share the same philosophy. You have to kill the things that you love. And with that, she cuts the tie. Jim falls from the roof, and she makes a crack that his Powerballs can't save Daddy now. Wait, Powerballs? Ah, uh, she's got faulty info. She doesn't know that Alex has an entirely new power set that he finds useless. Luckily, Julie has already unlocked the bubble power so that Alex just needs to fret about if he could do it instead of fretting about that he could do nothing. Fluff. Yippee, I did it. I didn't fail. It works, and Alex levitates Papa Power back to the roof. The rest of the kids show up and cost him off before he wakes up. He is curious how he ended up on the roof, and the kids say that Alex saved him and brought him up here for the fresh air. Jim thanks his son and apologizes for how he behaved the other day. It's been bothering him, and he is human enough to admit that he doesn't always do things right. He loves Alex and all of his family very, very much, and he tells them how proud he is of them, because succeed or fail, they always try their best. The end. Well, no. We still have the final scene with Typhoid talking to Mary, telling herself that she will never know appreciation or love like that because she won't let her. The end. No. We have a final scene with Doom yelling at Typhoid for killing James Power in front of his son. You see, she's been lying to Doom, telling him that Alex could not save his father and that he was guilty and glad his father died. Her actions have destroyed Power Pack forever. And why? For all the puffy Chimelian moon boots, would anyone want to lie like this to Doom? Well, you see, she's been teasing out the secret guilt that Doom hides with her telepathic suggestions. For her trouble, she receives a story about Doom's own father, who was a Roma healer. He could not save the life of a baron's wife, so he and his son fled. 
but they were caught in the cold. His father died protecting him, and Dune promised to be stronger and to punish all mankind for this. But, but what, what if young Victor Von Doom had chosen the other path, become a healer in mankind's service, in tribute to his noble father's cherished ideals? Okay, that is a thing. She always wondered where the doctor part of his name came from. And now Typhoid Mary knows. And in knowing, she now has a psychological ed on the great Latvian leader. And that is all she wanted. That is what the entire issue was about. Just Typhoid Mary learning a secret from Dr. Doom. That's it. She has this secret and she leaves, taunting Doom, wondering if he feels naked for the first time underneath all that concealing armor. The end. No, not the end yet. Doom is staring out at the city, deep in thought, instead of being deep in the middle of murdering the fool that dared cross his path to gain an advantage over him. Then the book ends. Ah, it's so frustrating. Could you at least tell me now is the end? Yes. Yes, it is. Next issue, Dynamite! Da-da-da-da-da-da. Let's talk about the themes of this issue. So, we have got the Power Pack packaging, and I'm going to be honest with you, it may be my favorite part of this book. Yeah, no, it's a good cover. Yeah, I kind of like Brett Blevins. I, I kind of enjoy his work for what it is and for what it, I mean, it's showing this book. But yeah, this is uh, Typhoid <laughs> Mary, and she's standing there, legs spread, arms out, blasting two blast of fire down at the ground she's got this evil maniac look on her face and her hair is all kinds of like late 80s aquanet and she's got like uh, <laughs> alex clouded up and like coming from behind her and going through or like the, the blast is going through his like cloudy chest one of the blasts is julie is swinging down coming in from the right side towards the ground jack is being blown away and he's all energized up and, and katie is kind of right in the center and she's kind of falling floating forward it's kind of a cool issue and then like we said up in the corner we have arcs of vengeance in the nice little you know yellow orangish box no it is an awesome looking cover it really is it looks so good and it looks like oh man you know this is this character is just you know got power pack on the ropes yeah, yeah. It, it is a great looking cover. I like the concept of Acts of Vengeance. I, I, I did like the concept back in the 90s. You know, let's mm -hmm. mix up the villains. Let's have them fight different things. Typhoid Mary should never fight Power Pack. I mean, oh my gosh. You know, that's that's really creepy and stuff. I just don't like the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they could have found some that. other way to put Typhoid Mary in here, I, I, I have problems with this story. I understand that, but... Uh it's, it's not a terrible story. John McDonough has really pulled me over to the other side of the fence when he was saying, hey, Terry Austin loved Power Pack and he got a chance to do some kind of funky, kind of weird kind of stories. And I like, and I see that as this. This is a, an, a really interesting story that you would normally not be able to tell in a comic. And especially, I don't think that you'd really be able to tell it in Power Pack. So he had to tell that he wanted to tell and he told it. Yeah, I just, I don't like some of the, some of the issues in here. And, and we'll, well, before we get to that, let's talk yeah, about yeah. some of the things on the outside. We've got a whole new creative team going on here well not a whole new it's, mm -hmm. it's not a complete change the complete change is coming another another couple of issues we got some new people on here we've got a new artist and that's ernie colin i know him from his work on damage control he's was born in puerto rico 1931 and he had a start in harvey comics about then he actually died last year in august at the age of 88 years old i'm a big fan of damage control and i think it's a real fun interesting little book the art in it is great because it's a little kooky and it's a real good comedy book. I just, 
don't know if it fits here. And I don't think that, I don't think that Ernie Cullen knows how to really draw kids that well. Not really. What's funny is that he does okay with like Jack and Katie and he does okay with Julie. Alex, on the other hand, is all over the board. He literally looks like he's 14 to 28. The heights of the characters fluctuates all over the place. You know, it's like I looked up the height of Jim Power and Jim Power is six foot tall. According yeah, to you know, the Marvel no. stats. Not in this. In this, Mary is about the size of Jim Power. So I'm just going to say that's the height. They're both six feet tall. Alex is 6'3", six, 6'4". Six Julie, at one point at the end, I think she's taller than... You know, like, Alex is shorter than Jim, but Julie is taller than Jim now. It's... The heights are just all over the board. And, and I'm not too much of a fan about how he draws Jack and Katie. He makes them both look like they're about... About the same age as your daughter, which... Yeah, about three. It's really, really disconcerting. I He doesn't really have them in good places. I Like I said, I enjoy his art in Damage Control because it's it's more of a comedy book and it kind of, I think it suits it a little bit more, mm-hmm. especially kind of where we're coming from, from seeing a lot of John Bogdanov and June Brigman and, uh, you know, Brett Anderson. I mean, we, we've had some amazing people on this book and it really is a little shocking to see his art on here. Yeah. And what's really weird on it too, is that especially for like Jack and Katie and Jim, for that matter, they look like beachside caricatures. Yeah. Alex, you know, his appearance is all over the board. There's, so, you know, is he supposed, you know, he's a 12 year old kid. He's a strange bean but there's plenty of times in here where he looks just beef yeah you know it's just like you're a 28 year old beefy boy everything is disconcerting you know it's like mary's legs are about twice the length of her body yeah you know it's there's just a lot of things going on with it that it's like uh it's yeah it's not my most favorite art another thing to to point out is that we don't have carl potts on here doing the editing work anymore we you still have tom defalco but we have a couple of other editors that are helping out on this is sarah tuchinesky and daniel chichester and they both were editors working for marvel around 88 89 daniel actually moved on and started doing some freelance writing and editing and did some work on and off for marvel they kind of are coming in and touching base here and it's this is kind of one of these issues that i really feel you don't have that constant editor you don't have somebody who knows the book and who knows the characters and who knows the people terry austin for all the problems i've got at least he's bringing some kind of continuity with the characters he does yes. know that he's written the characters before this is kind of where we're going to start feeling that there is or we're going to start losing the characters that we know and i think that this is a big chunk of it right here these are not the power kids as they've been written as they've been handled and guided with a lot of the work that Carl Potts did on the editing. I really see that. And I I really feel that from this point on going forward. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you on that. It is, yeah, I think we're going to start having a lot different feels coming up in the future. Terry Austin has always got his own kind of, he has a story he wants to tell. Sure. He likes Power Pack, but he has a story he wants to tell. And kind of, stuff kind of gets washed left and right on that, where it's just like, ah, it's it's close enough approximation. I've got a tale, I want to say. Well, let's talk about some of my problems with this. You know, you've got your, you're starting to build up some love for Terry Austin. That's fine. But I've got some. I I like the fact that he does these quirky kind of stories, you know, and I think Back in the day when we read them, and because we, you know, with like the some of the other ones that we read at the Terry Austin books, where we were like, I remember loving this. And I now remember is, loving a lot of them yeah. when I was younger. This one is not one of them that I loved when I was younger. This okay, is the this is that. the one issue of this book that I've been kind of like dreading. Mm-hmm. I know that the last five or six issues have problems on their own, but this one I remembered very distinctly. I remember a lot of things about it. 
Starting with Alex's age versus Mary's age. We can't have this both ways, folks. We can't. No. I mean, no, we can't. We have issues with older men going after younger women. We need to have the same standard here. An older woman with a younger boy. It's not okay. Yeah, especially with the fact it's a 12-year-old. Yeah. It's a 12-year-old. Yeah. It's not a early 20s with a late teens. It is a whatever Mary is, let's just say Marvel, usually about meh, 26, and a 12-year-old. Yeah. This is not right. This no. is very inappropriate. Yeah. There is Kitty Pride, some of her older boyfriends level inappropriate here going on. And it's very problematic really looking at it. And y- you got... Maggie not there. So Jim's in charge of the kids and Julie knows something is going on and Jim starts to fall into the spell and it just, there's ickiness. There's, there's a lot of weird, weird stuff. You know, we have Jim being tempted Mm -hmm. by the other woman. Wasn't really tempted so much as set up by her. And a lot of the stuff that was going on, you could say was being psychically projected onto him with suggestions. Fine. I, I will accept that. But at the same time, I don't like it. No, no, it's, it's icky. Jim and Maggie have been set up as being, you know, the perfect parents with flaws, acceptable mm-hmm. flaws, but still being the perfect parents. And a lot of what's been great about Power Pack is they do the best they can. Mm-hmm. And they're always doing good. And they're there together. And they are they care about each other. They care about their kids. It's a big thing. And I don't want to see it. And I don't like it. Yeah. And it doesn't make a good story. It makes an upsetting story. It does. And even at the end, he's like, you know, I'm sorry, guys. And, and it's like, oh, it's okay. Because, you know, she she's got this power that does this and it's her villain but i don't want to see it i don't want to read it it's it's not enjoyable okay i'm gonna give a however please jim was never acting on anything towards mary mary was doing stuff that alex would see so Mm -hmm. while mary was doing stuff to jim jim was not reciprocating you know where she's like oh tell me more about the science you're doing and you know putting the i put my arm over his shoulder it's something that i knew jim wouldn't notice but alex would cue right in on so she was doing all these things to get the jealousy factor from Alex while Jim was just like, oh, you're interested in hearing about this ultrasonic device I'm making. Let's talk about this. Here, I'll walk you down to your cab. She kisses him. She's like, I made sure that he was in a pos- in a position where Alex wouldn't be able to see like his like embarrassment and shock on his face. So mm-hmm. he wasn't forwarding any of that. He was just... He was a passenger on this train. Yeah, it still would be one of those things like, especially when she's not there to, in- to influence, to say, hey, kids, um... I'm actually feeling a little uncomfortable yes, about that Mary yes. lady. Mm-hmm. I would like you all to not see her mm-hmm. anymore. Or I don't want her in the house. Yeah, or things or like that. Or I don't that. want yeah. her you know, around well, yeah. you guys. And especially at that point, Julie would say, you know, Alex has been spending a whole lot of time with her. And I saw her trip, our, our friend upstairs, Tandy Bowen, you know, while she was carrying lemonade. She's a blind girl now. Yes. Yeah, so it's there's just, there's a lot. There's a lot that I just don't. That the characters don't feel right, that the situation doesn't feel right. There's just a lot that just, it never has left my skin feeling about reading this book the first time through. The thing I didn't quite remember the first time because the rest of it just shocked me so much, but just how weird Dr. Doom is in this. This is just doesn't feel like the Dr. Doom we know of. Oh, it's not Doom at all. No, it's not. But this is the Doom character being pushed around by Typhoid Mary. I'm going to say it's a rogue Doom bot. <laughs> No, it's even then, even the rogue Dupots, even some of even some of the, you know, the worst people that have been the Doom Doom costume, they still have always acted a little bit better than this. 
and it just doesn't fit. This is not Doctor Doom. This is a plug-and-play character to represent Doctor Doom to tell the story that Terry Austin wanted to tell, is all it really boils down to, because there's so much of that. Yeah, I, I think Doom is protected against psionics anyway, or he'd have enough mental fortitude to you know thwart her, her ambitions. Because, uh, yeah, he lets her get away with a lot of stuff that he wouldn't let her get away with, especially at the end, where it's, it's like, ha-ha, I've tricked you, and I've gotten under your skin. I know how to, I now have dominance over you. What are you going to do about that as I walk out the door? And he just kind of broods. Kill you. Yeah, he's just like, I'm doomed. Do you know what I do to people? <laughs> I'm not sure what the fix is, because I know that the idea was just to kind of, you know, play a little bit of switch and match yeah. with a lot of different characters. So Kingpin would be very interesting in this spot. Mm-hmm. But which I don't is, think that that which is, is where Doom got his information about Power Pack, right? Which which is, so it doesn't quite fit. We don't really want Kingpin in the yeah. spot, but I mean, her ferreting something out of Kingpin like this would be perfect, yes. and I could see her doing that. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know Magneto had no interest in being part of this. Or, no, Magneto was part of this a little bit because he he had the great issue where he threw Red Skull in a pit. Doom Doom went to get Red Skull, and it was in a Captain America issue, and Red Skull was like, "Oh, you're here to fight Captain America," and he says, "No." I'm here to throw you in a pit because <laughs> Nazi. I'm Jewish yeah. and you're a Nazi and I don't like you. <laughs> and it is a great book. And <laughs> this is our acts of vengeance. Magneto would be kind of interesting there. Maybe he would. That could have been interesting. But I mean, once again, it, he's such a strong personality. It would, I, although, and he's used to used to, he's also used to dealing with telepaths too. So maybe yeah. he wouldn't be a good one, but I, I feel like there should be another villain that we could, Put into that spot besides doom it just doesn't seem to pay spot right. pete no better yet that's the it. wizard because he wants to learn about the chimelian technology here's the thing about this doom wants typhoid mary to ferret out all the information about the chimelian technology that power pack knows here's the deal here's what power pack knows about Ch- chimelian technology yeah they have it costume <laughs> on costume off i've got big pockets friday fly us somewhere on rare occasion done if he's got this much information about power pack he's got to know that they got a spaceship and he's got to have figured out how he can steal a spaceship so it doesn't make sense (laughs) he should know that it's like okay how much technology do they use their super suits which they've wrecked by machine washing them that one time friday who they ignore more often than not they don't know this technology they do not know this chimelian alien technology they would be able to say they have spaceships and live in space and that's all done they know how to give their powers to snow yeah they know how to eat blue sawdust blue sawdust you say it's a skill i mean you know i will find a happy point in this book i do like how the three kids how three of the kids work together (laughs) Uh, i think that there is a moment in that elevator shaft where like hey we have a problem yo check out their beat they will solve it and they do it very well they did great I will give Terry Austin that. He knows the kids. He knows their powers. Great. Yep. Fantastic. That was one scene. Um, the rest of the time, <laughs> the rest of the time, the kids are just kind of hanging around. The kids aren't really doing much. They're reading Not books. Really. They're playing. They're building puzzles. They're uh, drinking lemonade. This is a Typhoid Mary story. Yeah, more than anything. Power Pack shows up in. Yeah. It, in order, it is Typhoid Mary, Doom, Alex, Power Pack. Dagger. Dagger. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Dagger was in this. <laughs> Dagger was in this. Dagger spot. was in this. That, oh, I should have remembered her. She cameoed harder than Spider-Man does. Pretty much. She came in to trip yeah. and to talk about being blind. Okay. All right. <laughs> Speaking of Dagger, she is blind because of a series of events. <laughs> because of reasons. 
I actually own these issues and I, I decided instead of pulling them out, I decided to just kind of read up on them and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Bit of background for what they say on this when she's talking about being blind, there's a little, you know, star, little little box, see current issues yeah. of Cloak and Dagger for more on Tandy Dagger's blindness. Dan! Yeah. That's like, oh, that's not telling me anything. That would be the mutant misadventures of Cloak and Dagger and this kind of starts off with issue number one and moves forward. I actually have these issues because the first issue guest starred X-Fact. She had been turned evil prior to the beginning of the first issue. And as they were fighting the evil dagger, Cloak took her into his cloak and she was, I'm not kidding, scared straight when a predator inside Cloak's cloak sucks out all the darkness out of her. And that turned her blind. So check out Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger number one to see more on that. Maybe, maybe I won't. Maybe I will. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. Who knows? But I can tell you what else you can check out while you're flipping through books. And that is from my library card. I decided to take a look at my own memories of The Miracle Worker, which is actually a three-act play by William Gibson that was adapted from Helen Keller's 1903 autobiography, The Story of My Life. Helen Keller's book, The Story of Her Life, talks about her life in Tussicum, Alabama, where she was blind and deaf. And she was actually initially cons- considered mute as well. According to the, the Miracle Worker play, because it's set up a little bit differently, but she is kind of taken pitied on by her parents and she kind of gets a little spoiled by them as well. And because they don't really know how to communicate to, with her, especially in 1903, and she is blind and deaf and she has no way of communicating her parents really have no way of dealing with her and, and and they've kind of at their wits end. They just kind of let her do whatever she wants because it's the best way. So they hired this lady called Annie Sullivan, who at the time was one of the students and actually became one of the teachers at a nearby school for the blind. And she comes in and she serves as governess and teacher. The play is set up very interestingly. It's really set up to show how she breaks through into this world of darkness that Helen Keller's life was because she had no way of you know, really understanding anything or figuring anything out. And it's this entire battle between somebody who's trying to teach order out of this chaos whirlwind that is this little girl who just has no way of communicating. And it kind of breaks down into this point where finally she's able to realize that this feeling on her hand of this cool kind of interesting feeling sensation, it's water. And at the same time, Annie Sullivan is keeps on throwing hand signals into Helen Keller's hand to tell her that it is water, that it is water. And that's kind of the breakthrough. And from that, it was just this grasping of knowledge and knowledge. It's it's really interesting because it's a really heartwarming story. All of the books about Helen Keller are very interesting and very heartwarming, very, very interesting. And I know that we kind of take it for granted that we all know uh, about her and her life, but sometimes it's really interesting to go back and read some of the source material, especially the works that she's done. I have not read the story of my life, but I have read The Miracle Worker before, the, the actual play. And I've, I've seen the play and I've seen the movie before too. I've always been really impressed with it. And I'm, It's one of the things I've wanted to do is sit down and watch and read the book as well. But this story did make me think of that because of the work that Terry Austin does in here about talking about the schools of the blind and and all the and all of the the little touches he puts in there about Dagger being blind and, and how she what she did to try to correct that about herself. So I do appreciate that that Terry Austin did. And of course, we talk about the school of the blind and any kind of school and in school, they teach you about science. And that's where we go to Science Corner with Mr. Cowboy. In this issue, Typhoid Mary uses the age-old seduction technique with Jim Power of talking about obstacle detection devices developed for the blind that utilize ultrasound transmitters in an attempt to frustrate Alex. 
it was super effective. But this got me thinking, what are these devices? And more specifically, what is the Mowat sensor that Jim Power asks her about in their subtle dance of passions? It turns out that a Mowat sensor is an aid to ambulation for individuals with visual impairment. It is a lightweight handheld device, similar to a flashlight, that detects objects by sending out brief pulses of high frequency sound. The device vibrates when it detects an object, and users can tell how close they are to the object by the rate of vibration. The device ignores everything but the closest object within the beam. Now, I know that this descriptor really plums the depths of this passion play, but I have to add that the Mowat sensor is a secondary aid for use in conjunction with a long cane or a guide dog. I apologize if this was too steamy for you, but that was this week's Science Corner. Whew. Some hot steaminess right there. I'm gonna have to walk over to the refrigerator and cool myself down. But wait, look, <laughs> there's places still on this refrigerator for us to put up more artwork. So let's see what we can put up there. Like always, we start with some of our funny, funny art. So let's see what we got. Jeff, do you wanna go first or you want me to? I can go first. My joke backup one is on page 12 and I call it the worst puzzle ever. And this is in the uh, the bottom two panels on this, but more specifically the top panel of this bottom okay, half. Okay, you take the top panel Okay, then. I'll take the top panel. <laughs> Jack and Julie are on the couch reading a book and playing on a Game Boy and Katie is on the floor putting together a puzzle. And this is the worst puzzle in the world. The puzzle pieces are just higgly jiggly and they're solid block colors. So I have a yellow piece. Obviously that directly connects to this red piece. So it's just the worst puzzle because there's no way you could be able to pick up a piece and go, oh, cool. This, uh, I'll just build whatever, the lemur's head and I'll get those pieces together. No, it's like, I got a yellow piece. I guess it could go next to anything. Uh, how do you know that's really it? Maybe just Katie's putting together the puzzle wrong. Oh, my goodness. I, no, she's smarter than that. She's a smart kid. She taught herself how to read at five. <laughs> If we go down one panel, you will see my backup funny one. And this is what I call, hey, <laughs> <laughs> and this just killed me because there's somebody at the door. Alex is charging across the room. He is vaulting over Katie and Katie is like just bunched up into the most awkward ball I've ever seen. Yeah, she doesn't want to be leaped over. The perspectives are weird. The perspectives are odd and it just looks weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just kept looking at this and saying, this is just odd and funny but hey <laughs> yeah hey i don't want to be jumped over alex don't just walk to the door like a normal person your girlfriend will wait no i'm alex i won't do it yeah, i'll <laughs> scream at you i'll get it what is your funny one sir my top funny one is on page six and i call it i guess alex is six foot three now <laughs> this is the uh, bottom right-hand panel, and I alluded to this earlier in the show, and it shows the height of all the, you know, the family and Mary and everybody together, and Alex is just towering over everybody, and Mary and Jim are the same height. The heights for everybody is just all wrong. To be fair, Alex is in the back. Yeah, he's in so the background. Pers perspectives being, he should be smaller. Yes, yes, he should be smaller, yeah. The heights with this, these characters throughout just run all over the place and uh, especially with Alex he ages and de-ages and heights and de-heights it's ridiculous well let me tell you about what's really ridiculous I want you to turn to page 22 I will because Jeff you know I do a little show called uh, Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout right I've heard of it I've listened to it I like to talk about movies with people and I saw this picture and this picture made me think of a movie that I probably will never talk about in the show and that would be the second panel from the bottom down there mm -hmm. kind of on the side and I said hey look I didn't know that this turned into a Weekends at Bernie sequel <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
because we've got we've got Alex in the elevator <laughs> and he's looking up into the little trap door and we got Typhoid Mary there and she's holding on to Jim and she's got Jim upside down. Now he's wearing glasses still and the glasses are really dark. So it looks like they're, they're sunglasses and his hair is flopped down because he's, a, you know, he's passed out. The hair's flopped down. The ties kind of flopped down. He looks like a dead Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, pretty much. I fully see where you're going with that. I fully, fully agree. <laughs> Well, again, Jim in this, anytime he's drawn, he's a caricature. He's almost, he's a, he's a body pillow of a human being is what he appears to be. So he's, he's one step removed from Fred Hembeck. Exactly. Let's talk about some of our favorite pieces of art in here. What do you got for your backup one? My backup favorite one is on page 16 and I call it Doom Revealed. And this is a very top left-hand panel, and it just shows, you know, this is the first time they've not silhouetted or just shown a body part of him. This is the full Doom sitting in his chair looking at Typhoid Mary while Typhoid Mary balances a kitchen knife on her finger. And it's just, you can't go wrong with drawing Dr. Doom, or you shouldn't. I thought it looked neat. I like the way that Dr. Doom is, so that's why. Mine is a couple of pages forward on page 19, and... I call this one fight time. And this is in the middle of the page. And this is where Alex is costuming on. Oh, really? Now, I I will say this is, it's interesting because uh, realistically, I I don't necessarily like how they've drawn Alex. No, it's terrible. He's, yeah, he's, he's all muscled up and stuff. Yeah, this is, this is the one where I say, when I say he looks 28, this is the one where I think he looks 28. Yeah. But what I like about it is just that it is a complete action pose. And I really do like that. I like how he's, it's kind of, blasting out with the the lines behind him i mean this is this is a video game type of a pose <laughs> and i kind of like that mm-hmm. i mean if we're gonna go absolutely ridiculous here it's kind of cool looking you see the the bands around him as he's half changing there's a lot of cool elements it's just when you look at it you're like going, alex is muscled out that's yeah. kind of weird <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> but at the same time i do i i really like the action pose of it okay. and that's kind of what stood out for me so what's your favorite it just as an aside i do always like what they do with typhoid's hair it looks pretty cool. This is also kind of a cool thing with her hair, too. Yeah. That is taking up about half of the panel is uh, Mary's hair, which I'm like, yeah, that looks sweet. But my top favorite is on page. Now, this is going to be a cheat in a way because I've never done this before. It's on the credits page. Eh, you've, you've done this before. I am picking the credits page, and it is in black and white, and I call it Power Pack Presents the Present Power Pack. And that is because it has the members of Power Pack and just, you know, an inked pencil drawing and Katie's, you know, degraving Franklin and Jack up on their hands. And Jack is smiling a huge grin, shooting off a Powerball. And Julie's flying his light speed and Alex has a cloud behind him. It's just, I'm just like, that looks really, really cool. I like that art. I want to say that that might actually be Bogdanov. You think? There's no uh, credit on it. It's definitely not Ernie Colin. Yeah. It may be... Blevins, but I can have Franklin and that that's very much the Franklin and, and the and Jack's smile that that's very reminiscent of Bog. Okay. So editor's note, I contacted John Bogdanoff and I was right. Once again, I was right. Uh, that was just turned out to be my favorite piece of art in the book. So I, no, I, I, like I that don't, enough. I don't blame yeah. you. I do not blame you. How about you? What's your number one? My number one is back on page 17. This is a little bit of a companion piece to the, the one I just did as well, mm-hmm. because this is the bottom corner and I call this peekaboo. Hmm. And this is with Mary hiding in the shadows and she's got, She's kind of holding her trench coat close to her. And you see Alex coming down the staircase in the light. And it's actually a, a kind of a cool, this is a little bit different drawing 
than I've seen him do throughout the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. It, it's he's using short more shadows. He's using a lot more straighter lines. There's something very different about this piece of art and a lot of the other art he did in the book. And I, I really like this one. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I think that's enough of the art. Let's go ahead and move on to our favorite thing in the world: insulting Jeff. Rubber and glue moment. What is the best or most childish insults in this book? And let me tell you about my backup one is. I'm going to go ahead and move up to page 14, and I'm going to talk about something Julie said, because Julie had something really good here. Uh, yeah. When she said, that's okay, Alex. I hate that, Mary. She's rotten. That she rotten. is. Rotten. Rotten. Rotten like an old apple. Just rotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good I one. I like it. It's good. That was on my list. What? Uh, hit me. Hit me. I can take it. Well, first of all, I'd like to say my, it's not my favorite part making insults towards Jeff. That always makes me feel sad in my feeding area. See, the thing is, you just said that to me, and I am rubber and you are glue, so you, what you said just stuck to you. Now I feel bad again in my feeling sad. <laughs> my emotion bag is all filled with sad. Well, 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 shut up. <laughs> Tell me your insult. My backup rubber and glue moment is on page 21, and it is Typhoid Mary talking to the three competent members of Power Pack as they burst out of the basement door, going, ah, it's the Brat Patrol. Good one. Good one. I like it. I like Brat it. Brat Patrol. Now, if she wanted to stick with the proper alliteration, it should have been the Brat Battalion. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That would have been better. All right. Page 17. Let me tell you a little bit about Alex and his manners and how they don't exist. Yeah. As he rips a letter out of his sister's hand and says, give me that, you little goof. Little goof. My goodness. So harsh. (laughs) So much harshness. So harsh towards his sister, who's just trying to give him a letter. (laughs) Take that. Take that, you little goof. Well, let's hit my uh, top one. And my top insult is on page six. And this is after uh, Jim is getting to meet Mary for the very first time. Kitty's introducing uh, Mary to their dad and saying, it's like, this is our dad. He's a physicist and a scientific researcher and the smartest man in the whole world. Except for doing the laundry. At least that's what Mama says. It would have hit more if Jim was a single guy and he was, you know, she was introducing. Oh, him to a potential, uh, like, yeah, maybe this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the movie then, thing. Then, you could be my new mommy. <laughs> Can you do laundry? Because my yeah. dad can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough of this joking. Let's go ahead and move on to stars in detention. Who's the best kid? Who's the worst kid? Alex is the worst kid. I'm not even going to preamble this. I, just... Well, let's discuss this because maybe I have a different. No, the exact same no. choice. It's Alex. It's no, obvious. It's Alex. No, you don't. It's, it's Alex. Alex. It's Alex. Alex. It's Alex. Alex is the worst kid. Yeah. You, you heard the episode. I, I, he's just... He, he's bad. He's the worst in this. Yep. He's just... Yeah. The real question, though, is who do we think the best is? Julie. Yeah, Julie. She knew what she was doing from right away. She was great leader mm-hmm. solving the elevator problem. Not a good leader trying to solve the trolley problem, but that's nobody a wins that one. Thing that's entirely. a philosophical argument that nobody wins. I win it every time. <laughs> I'm Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I enough good, good place. place references. All right, uh, so uh, Alex is the worst, Julie's the best. I, I, this yep. is pretty simple. Um, Jack and Katie really didn't have a place they in this. They were there. They did some stuff. Yeah, with Julie, about the worst thing she did was, you know, after Alex kind of uncharacteristically said, you kids stop the elevator, I'll save dad. Julie said, you know, basically said the same thing where she said, you kids stop the elevator, I'll, you know, get rid of the smoke. So... Both older, yeah. you know, both older siblings called the the younger ones kids, but yeah, it, it's just that's about the worst thing she did. Yeah, I agree. That's easy. That's simple. Let's move on to things that might be a little, 
may be difficult. I, I've already got an idea on this one, but we want to do some top grades and rank this issue against the rest of the series. Top of the list of 61 issues, we have Power Pack number 42, Revenge of the Boogeyman, still the top, and it's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Going down number 15, we've got Power Pack number 17, and that's Stark Attack, Snark Attack, with they do the long fight with Jackal. Yeah. Moving down to number 30, we've got power pack number 23, Missing. That's where the kids are flown to Snark World and James discovers they're missing. Dun, dun, dun. 45. Place 45, we've got power pack 38. Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep. Julie has her present stolen by mean <laughs> pirate girls. Those pirate girls. That will bring us down to the bottom of the list with X Factor number two, Man on the Moon. Jeff, 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 Jeff. I don't like this issue. I <laughs> couldn't tell. <laughs> I'm going to assume bottom half. We're in the back 40, I'm sure. If we put this up the Terry Austin ranking, we are talking about number 56, the great Gugam treasure hunt. Power pack number 21. That is Katie and Jack save an author from two thirds of the three stooges. That was the first Gugam treasure hunt. That's mm-hmm. there. Uh, we also have a little bit further down a, a Mackie book, Child's Play at number 59 that's power pack number 34 and that's where yep they hang out with madcap doing madcap things i like madcap madcap's irresponsible but it's not problematic problematic we go to shelter from the storm shelter from the storm has got some problems in it Mm -hmm. i kind of like the art a little bit more in in shelter from the storm Hmm. well uh the art from shelter from the storm was it stood out it was very striking it was uh, it did look good it looked like a lot of time had been put into it it looked like it was you know a lot of almost kind of like painting and pastels and just get like like art had been done yeah the art in uh this issue of power pack it it's very kind of work a day it's kind of you know like just a house artist just kind of a grab a person put them in and do stuff i really think that this would go below shelter hmm. from the storm yeah i'm fine with that okay i also kind of like x-factor angle number two better uh that i'll fight you on i will fight you on that <laughs> a zoom fight it's gonna get messy i don't have the best internet connection why would you think that x-factor angle two is number is better i mean yes the story was boring yeah well there's also the aspect too that as a Power Pack story. Mm-hmm. Power Pack in the Man in the Moon story barely existed. Franklin was in it more than anybody else, but he was plainly just an observer. They were they were in it for the first half. They, yeah, vaguely. They, yeah. they were there, but they really weren't. This one had more story beats going involving Power Pack, involving Power Pack's parents. There was uh, things that happened. We learned a little bit more about Jim. We learned some stuff about the characters is kind of what it boiled down to. Uh, uh. I would say it's on par with X-Factor annual number two because it was a Typhoid Mary story. It was a Typhoid Mary story, true, but they had more agency in their own comic than they did in the uh, X-Factor one. I don't know about that. I mean, Julie had some agency, sure, but I don't know if Alex did. (laughs) Alex, uh, Alex, well, he saved his, his dad's life. Katie and Jack stopped an elevator and stopped a building fire. For a while, they stopped Lockjaw in the X-Factor comic. No. <laughs> You're remembering more about that one than I am. I uh, do. I I would read X-Factor Annual number two than this one. Really? Okay. Really? I hmm. honestly would. I don't think I'm going to convince you to go below there, am I? Uh, you want to do shoots for it? <laughs> you want to you do rock, paper, scissors? My biggest problem with this book, and the reason I think it deserves to be at the bottom, is that it is... <laughs> 
it is problematic. It mm-hmm. it has issues that very, very nearly break one, maybe two characters. Okay. It really comes close to breaking Jim Power. It really comes pl- close to breaking Alex. And I don't like it for that. I don't really like it for that at all. Even though it was Mary that was pushing them to do those things, mm-hmm. it just didn't work right. Plus, it also kind of broke Dr. Doom a little bit in there, too. I can like, see that. I can it, just, for it, that. Just, it just also doesn't feel like Dr. Doom in that issue as well. There, that is very true. But you know, there is, now that I'm thinking about it, there are a lot of similarities, actually, between these two comics. Because mm-hmm. in this one, Mary is doing mental pushes on people. Yeah. In the X-Factor Annual 1... I can't remember the guy's name. The bad guy in that, he had mentally controlled Quicksilver. Yeah. And was forcing him to do things that were, you know, against his, you know, normal abilities and, and stuff as well. It's, it's, a, it's a shorter walk for Quicksilver to be evil. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> it's not like Alex was being evil. No, he just was being a moody teenager. Yeah, he was being a moody teenager that was being influenced. And, you know, again, like I had said, Jim was being influenced to do, you know, some, you know, like bad parenting, but it's just like, yeah. oh, you were having a bad day. You snapped at your kid. These things happen. You apologize later. That's good. I could go either way. I've got very little skin on this horse. So <laughs> I have always had problems with this one. This one is always stuck in my head. I've never, I was really dreading reading it. And at the same time, I was thinking maybe I'm going to like it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Didn't. In fact, I think I like I liked it worse. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say this is the 62. This is our new bottom of the barrel. All right. I'm, I'm willing to go for that. That sounds fine. All right. All right. That will bring us to our thoughts on our beer. Let's have, let's end this on a good note. We're talking about Queen of the Rodeo. Whew, what a rodeo it was. Mm-hmm. But this is a sour beer from Breakside Brewery. And man, I am still enjoying this thing. You know what? It's still it's still bubbling. Mm-hmm. An hour or so later, and it is still bubbling away, just happy as a clam. Taste that hasn't a... really changed too much nope. on it. No, it's about the same, just not right. as chilled. It's a good beer. Yeah, this is a very good beer. Yeah. very enjoyable, very tart. It's got lots of flavors in there. I'm still getting that that hit of rose and hibiscus. Yep. Yeah, you get the florals, you get the cherry, you get a little bit of that tart cherry flavor going. I'm willing to give this. I'm willing to give this a good four and a half. I really am enjoying this one. It's something I would seek out again. Yep. I am a pushover for sours. If you don't like sours, this will not be for you. I'm less a sour fan, so I'm going to go for a four on it. But it is a very serviceable, very good, very mm-hmm. flavorful, very aromatic beer. I like it, and I'm looking forward to drinking the rest of it while Rick and Carrie are talking about the issue that we just covered. So, Rick and Carrie. Take it away. Greetings, Carrie. Sorry, that was my Dr. Doom voice. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Good. We're here to talk about Chinks in the Armor, Power Pack 53. What did you think about this issue? Well, <laughs> the drawings are a little interesting. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, on page three, panel two, they all have goofy smiles. It's just like, ee! Did you like the art at all, or did you just find it a little too different? It's a little off, but I think it's fine. What about the story, then? What did you think about the story? Um, I don't know. (laughs) It it just... Sorry, I don't know what to say. (laughs) Maybe it's a little bit off. Um... Tell me why. I don't know. I just haven't been enjoying it as much as I would. You didn't enjoy the story that much? I don't know what to say, really. Is it something about the characters that you don't like? What do you think about Typhoid Mary? I mean, she started out mean, but she ended up being like a villain. Yeah, she she's a villain. She is a complete villain. So you don't like her that much, right? Not really. 
Did you like how she was interacting with the family? No, she wasn't acting that nice, I guess. She was trying to trick the family, and then she her whole entire goal was trying to get power packs separated. Yeah. Which totally didn't happen. Right. But she thought it happened. And she was also trying to get information from somebody else, too, right? Dr. Doom? Yeah. There was lots of parts to the story. You understood it all, right? Some of it. Did you... What parts of the book made you feel uncomfortable? Some of the weird drawings may have made me feel uncomfortable. Okay. What about the interactions between Mary and Alex and Mary and Jim Power? Her interactions with Alex weren't as... I mean, they started out a teensy bit good, but then they ended up being not so good. She's older than Alex, isn't she? Yeah. How how much older than Alex do you think she is? I don't know. Maybe... Almost as old as Jim. (laughs) So you think she's about as old as Alex's father? Well, or maybe a teensy bit younger, but... Do you think somebody that old should be going out with somebody as young as Alex? Not really. Is that part of the reason why you don't like this? (laughs) It felt a little weird. Okay, that's all right. That's... I agree with you 100%. That's one of the reasons why I got my own feelings about this book, but I wanted to find out from you first. Yeah, I don't really like this book either. I don't like the relationship between Alex and Typhoid Mary, so you're not wrong in feeling that. I didn't want to tell you that. I wanted you to see if you actually had that same feeling yourself while reading it. Okay. I really wanted to know your feelings on this book, and it sounds like this is not one of your favorites. No. Is there anything that you else you want to talk about this book, or you just want me to leave you alone? <laughs> I think we're, I think I'm fine. Okay, I will leave it alone then. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. Thank you for giving me your thoughts on this book. Okay? Welcome. I love you. Love you too. Aha. Mmm. Yep, I could see why you'd think that, Carrie. Shout out time! We would like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. This is for episode 67, where we reviewed Power Pack, issue number 50. Al Sedano and Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Becky Platts. Charlie Rose. Chris at BTO Backbooks. Cindy Heineken. Clinton Robinson with Coffee and Comics and Fan Film Fridays, who said, Muppet Show voice, kids on spice. I had to read that Muppet Show voice and then do the Muppet I gotcha. I, I, I'm, I'm, I fully I'm, got it. I'm, I'm done. You're good with that. Fractal. Gibson Gray. Green Lantern HG. Hal Jordan. Hoover Jeremiah and the Four Million Years Later podcast. Jeremy Daw. Jeremy Wiggins. Kyle Sinelli, who pointed out that the real names of the members of Force 4 male members are all Pig Latin. Enbe, Onidje, Yidre. Yeah, I looked that up and I'm like, hmm, yeah, I didn't realize that before. I didn't realize it either. I uh, totally 100% when he yeah wrote that and said that. I'm like, now I got to dig out this comic. I, I tried looking it up online and it basically just said force four. Uh, yeah. And then I'm like, thank you, Internet, for no information. You know, Ben, read Johnny, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Glad people are more clever than us. We can't pick up on these subtle little things. Nope. The Longbox Crusade Network with Delvin the Dark Web Williams. Marco Rogers, Marla London, Matthew Birdsey, Max Travers, Nicholas Fromm, Professor Frenzy. It's a show. It's a show. Sean in the Secret Wars of Beyond podcast. Steve Platts, Tim Price, the podcrasher with his own show, The Outcasters podcast. Listen to it. Waffles from Waffles and Mario talk about things. And he says, great episode all around. Good job tackling such a massive issue. 
the worst comic podcast ever with Jerry McMullen. And be sure to check out our other shows that we are on. Our junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rogue Agent episodes of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And on my show, Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout on the Longbox Crusade Network. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick Present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a whiskey-smelling shirt in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube channel is Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick present, all one word. We are a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. Until next time. Costumes, costumes off. off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Video Dungeon Boss. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Acompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. And all are answered on the cover of this book that has a little triangle. Triangle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say that Tandy is prettier than Mary, and Julie has never been Julius. Julius? Julius. She's never been Julius. She's never been Julie-less. In an inevitable dis... An inevitable... Yeah. Meanwhile, Alex stands in the background and slowly transition from Eger... Yeah. Eger. Meanwhile... Eger. Barks at Alex, calling him rude, and lets him wait in the living room. And tells him. And yes, not just lets, he tells. He tells to let him. <laughs> okay, green just blacked out on me. Here we go. Let me just check Audacity real quick. Yep, it's still going. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. I was worried there, because I'm like, why does that look like that just completely died out? But I could hear Rick. Eh. Come on, Zoom. Come on back to Zoom. I want to see Rick. There, pretty face. My boy, right there. My boy, my boy, my beautiful boy. Then Katie taunts her brother a second time. (laughs) (laughs) Answered Katie, then I guess you're not interested in this note. We found slipped under the door. Okay. You like that? (laughs) That's why I put that in there. No, that's great. I I like it. I I probably saw that before and it's only funny to me now. (laughs) I shall taunt you a second time. Yeah. Yeah, your girlfriend smells of elderberries. <laughs> no, my girlfriend. She still smells of elderberries. Touching. Genius, Alex. Genius, Genius Alex. Meanwhile, has failed. No, no. Genius, Alex. Genius. Meanwhile, what? No, no, no. That's period. Genius, Space. Alex. Alex. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I got that. It's not genius, Alex. I'm trying to put the space yeah. in there now. Now I understand it now. Genius so Alex. here's how here's how sent here's here's how sentence structures work. There's a period. Period means stop. Mm. New sentence start. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Oh. What what are the things before and after like those little dots though? You didn't get your PhD in reading. No, I did not get a, a, uh, a doctor in reading. Those would be the letters. I didn't even. I got a doctor. Oh, in weird. Reading. <laughs> I got a doctor in reading. <laughs>
<laughs> I, I got two degrees in not knowing languages. I am a, I have a master's in not English and a master's in uh, not other spoken word song lyric. I got two degrees in failing out of school. So you want to hear the other random banter intro that I had? For this one? In my pocket. Yeah. You want to save it? Uh, uh, nope, it's not going to ever pop up in usefulness again. So Sure. Here's to you, <laughs> random banter. Jesus loves you more than you can know. Whoa. whoa. Uh, and why would I have picked that one, Rick? <laughs> Are you trying to seduce me, Jeff? Each and every day.